Hello and welcome to History in Reverse, a father-daughter science fiction podcast. Today we're going to be looking back on the five books we read over the past year, uh, which were all science fiction books about aliens, and we're going to be comparing them and analyzing them. everyone, my name is Caroline and I'm here with my father, Richie. Hello. Uh, today we're continuing our project on here on History in Reverse of reading and analyzing a science fiction book. And actually, today we're going back and looking at the five books that we read over the past year. Um, when we started the project, we uh, had a theme, right, Dad? Yes, aliens, aliens everywhere. Yes, all kinds of aliens. And weird aliens, specifically, I think, was the goal. Um, Unusual aliens. Yes. And so we read Left Hand of Darkness, uh, Solaris, The Story of Your Life, Speaker for the Dead, and War of the Worlds. And if you want to hear more detailed analysis of those books, like specifically individually, check out the other five podcasts on this feed that come before this one. Um, but today we're going to be talking about them in a comparative literature kind of way. I don't know if that's actually a phrase, but... That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> it sounds good to me. <laughs> um, and I apologize in advance if I get really English major on this. I love comparing stories and talking about themes and things, but I'll, uh, we're still trying to keep it at an hour. But before we jump into that, Dad, you have some stuff on the history of aliens and writing, right? Right. So one of the things that I was kind of wondering when we were starting all this is when aliens first appear like in stories and literature and stuff. And... If you look at like Greek mythology, there's lots of kind of strange beings, but they're all like gods. They come from Olympus. Mm -hmm. they, there's no notion of people coming from another world. Mm -hmm. Kind of first time something like this occurred, and uh, there was it's called uh, the Great Moon Hoax, which happened in 1835. So here's this is not really science fiction. It was really just somebody who discovered a way to sell lots of papers. Mm -hmm. So in in 1835 in New York City there was a paper called the New York Sun. Mm -hmm. And the guy who was publishing it realized that if he can sell advertisements for his paper, he can sell the paper to people for very little money and make money on advertisements. Mm -hmm. And the idea was the more papers you sell, the more you can charge for the advertisements. So around this time, uh, there was a, I think, Scottish astronomer, Sir John Herschel, who just had built like a newer telescope. Mm -hmm. And so he was making some discoveries. So these people wrote articles that he discovered life on on the moon. <laughs> and basically they had a series of articles. They sold lots of papers. Mm -hmm. We can put a link in the show notes, but you can look up the, the some of the drawings that they made. So there's these uh, men bats of, 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 of the moon. <laughs> and there's like a whole thing and they could fly in the air. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of fantastic thing. And I think that was like the first time other kind of beings living on another planet that mm -hmm. occurred. I guess that's interesting because, I, I, yeah, I suppose before that, because people knew about other planets, right? The Greeks knew about... Well, they knew about the planets. They knew in a sense that there were like stars that moved in a weird way, right? Mm -hmm. what, what does planet stand for? Planet comes from some word in Greek mm -hmm. that means wandering. Because if you observe, you know, stars move a certain way. They just follow an arc. Mm -hmm. Planets kind of go back and forth because... Oh, because they're like orbiting. Yeah. Oh, fancy. I guess because they're also a lot closer. Right, right. But they still look like a star because it just reflects light, mm -hmm. but it moves funny. Mm -hmm. And that's why people realized they were different. 
but nobody thought that there should be a life on them. So, mm -hmm. so this was uh, this moon thing was the first thing. Then a little bit later in the 19th century, there was observations of Mars, and people observed what they thought were canals. Mm -hmm. You probably heard about that. Unfortunately, what happened was as, as people got better and better telescopes, they realized that canals were just kind of optical illusion, and it's as you know, people were reading stuff into the observations into the stuff that they were seeing there wasn't mm -hmm. real canals yeah but then the whole idea of, of having martians yeah know, or, or people somebody if there's canals somebody must have built them mm -hmm. right and so on well didn't we ultimately find water on mars well it, or we found something recently there's, right there's something like like there's ice someplace neat so i think the very first uh, like novel that 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 had aliens was war of the worlds mm -hmm. and this is the first you know they come from mars and invade earth so it was also first invasion story, but it was right. really the first book. And in that, yeah, in that book, they do see, like, they see the launch come from Mars right. through the telescope and everything. And that was actually the last book that we read uh, in our project here. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting that people didn't have that idea until relatively recently. Well, like. yeah. Well, you have to realize that planets are worlds, right? So, right. Like, I was I have a note here that the the thing about canals was like 1894 when people were thinking well maybe somebody built them mm. and you know world the world was published in 1898 oh interesting so you think maybe he was influenced by that i'm idea? sure he was yeah yeah, yeah. Huh. that's fascinating i love it so i mean at this point now we have tons of books about aliens i mean at the end i think we're going to discuss what what we like about alien books and why people are so interested in alien books um it's stories about aliens too but I think to start with, we're going to just go over some broad themes. And well, maybe stuff. let's, why don't we just talk about the aliens from each book? Yeah. Right. So the only other thing I wanted to mention is oh, yeah. uh, we wrote down the publication dates of each, each of these books. Oh, yes. The chronology of it. And so the time-wise, the first one was World to World, which was published in 1898. Mm -hmm. and the next one was Solaris, which was published mm -hmm. in 1961. Okay. And then... Left Hand of Darkness, which was published in 1969. All right, a few years later. And then Speaker for the Dead was uh, 1986. Okay. And Story of Your Life was 1998. So it was 100 years after World of Words. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, and then that's interesting. Was I think you and I were talking before about the Ansible, the piece of technology right. that appears in both Left Hand of Darkness and Speaker for the Dead. Right. And Orson Scott Card's other books, and right. Ursula Le Guin's other books too, right? right? Uh, so it seems like Le Guin was the one who. Le came Guin, up with I think she came up with this idea of of this loose federation of hundred worlds and mm -hmm. having the Ansible as the the instant communication. Mm -hmm. So that appears in a bunch of other books. Yeah, and then Orson Scott Card just took it. <laughs> hey, you know it works, right? <laughs> well, it's sort of interesting. Like, what kind of pieces of technology become ubiquitous within science fiction? Like, well, the thing is, it's it's. Tractor beams, that kind if of If you're going to write a book about a uh, federation of planets or something, mm -hmm. if the communication takes years, it's kind of, will become very boring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and communication's a big issue, too, with the aliens. So let's talk about the appearances of the aliens. And for our listeners, you should know we have about an eight-page outline here, so I'm gonna, we're going to try to keep it moving. <laughs> but... I was, I was told to write an outline, and it is, it is, I was an English major, so it is quite an outline. <laughs> so I think we'll talk about the stories in the order we read them, and then we can talk at some point about the chronology, maybe the development of aliens uh, throughout. But like, so it, I guess the main thing is that we have two 
types of aliens we encounter. There are the ones that are humanoid and the ones that aren't. Right. Right? So in Left Hand of Darkness, we have the humanoid Gethenians, right? Right. Um, they have, they don't quite have gender like we do. That's kind of the point. <laughs> but they have feelings and they have society and everything like that. And our right. it's, characters... It's almost like me. me somewhat medieval except with some technology because right mm -hmm. they live on this planet called winter mm -hmm. which is always very cold so they're very well adapted to the cold i mm -hmm. imagine them looking like eskimos yeah <laughs> and uh, the main character in, in left in the darkness is mr i who's the ambassador he's black mm -hmm. so they always kind of look funny at him because they're not black they mm -hmm. they you know like they said they're like reddish white or, or yeah you know. uh, yeah, I always imagine they were like paler, yeah. Um, yeah imagine like mm -hmm. Eskimos, you know, Eskimos are like American Indians who just live up north, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I guess maybe we can hit the hit the ones that have the more humanized. So this left hand of darkness has the more humanoid aliens. And well, no, so, so what was the odd thing about them, though? Well, so the weird thing about them was the gender. The sex the, life. Yeah. Their sex, yeah. So, and, and I mean, Ursula Le Guin very much ties gender and physical sex to each other in this story which you know something that may have may have been different if it was written now but yeah that they are they're like gender neutral they're like sex neutral most of the time unless they're in kimmer kimmer right <laughs> and in like a particular time of the month they'll go through a cycle of being either male or female and then they right. can reproduce at that point so why do you think that is why do you think that her aliens were more hu more human-like uh, for the well, story she was so in the, in the story, remember, in the end, they say that there's some evidence that there were not aliens that developed on, on the planet on their own, mm -hmm. but there were an experiment by mm -hmm. some genetical, you know, genetical, genetical experiment. Mm -hmm. Part of the experiment was supposed to be to see if, if the people, are, uh, if, if the beings are, or are not either male or female strongly, maybe they cannot have wars. Mm -hmm. And the place was relatively peaceful, although they had some... Skirmishes yeah. Yeah. between the various couple of countries. Yeah, it's not clear that 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 really Put, panned worked. out. Yeah, it just perhaps the fact that the planet was very somewhat hostile to life and they had to spend lots of time staying warm and not dying mm -hmm. and freezing to death. We're kind of busy and and not having time to fight other people. I guess the point of the book was just to explore the culture, what the culture was like. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was no clear man, male and female, so there was like mm -hmm. no. A dominant sex or anything like right that, exactly right? and then you know then how does the human interact with them and right. everything like that so i think that the, the aliens there had to be humanoid because like you and i were sort of talking a bit before the podcast you know they had to be able to interact with like the point of the, the point of the novel wasn't communication the point of the novel was these other issues of like gender right. and society right. that kind of thing right and that's sort of similar to speaker for the dead where the piggies so the piggies are I don't know if it's a humanoid exactly there well so this is we go into the demosthenes classification of, right of, uh, oh we have those those notes somewhere right so in speaker for the dead and i think this also happens in a couple other books by orson scott card like in ender's game and and the follow-ups to speaker for the dead he has this classification hierarchy of strangeness and the words from um I guess uh, Nordic words or something. So it's Utlanning, which is the Otherlander, and it says the stranger that we recognize as being hu a human of our world, but for, of another city or country. Framling, the stranger that we recognize as human, but of another world. Raman, 
strangers we recognize as a human but of another species, Valerie's true alien, which includes all the animals for whom no conversation is possible, and Jur, the dire beast, marooning, unreasoning threat, monstrous murdering creature. We should mm. apply that to Solaris, see what that Well, does. we could actually apply it to all of them. So, <laughs> right. so in Left Hand of Darkness are the, are the Gethenians, um... Framling. Framling? Really, right? It's, right, it's the stranger that we recognize as human, human but of another, another world. world. Yeah. yeah. Right, I mean, to the point even where the main character has kind of like a weird, like, sexual attraction at one point, too. Right, right, um, so... The because, other main character. Uh, the human, Mr. I, is, is a male, and, you know, the Gethenians actually think of him as being like weird yeah they they because they have some, don't they have some Gethenians who have like uh are like always one gender yeah it's like an abnormal that. kind of a thing yeah. that happens sometimes and i mean so yeah i think definitely the Gethenians would be uh frame framling yeah framling yeah definitely so then speaker for the dead there's the piggies and sort of the whole part of part of the story's thing is are they framlings or are they ramen no, ramen of valeries is it i thought that they talked stranger about that would recognize ramen ramen is a Recognize as human, but another species. So they're definitely another species. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And Valeries is an alien, like an animal. Right. So, and I think they ultimately come to the conclusion that they're ramen. Yeah. Uh, so the piggies, phys physically, what do the piggies look like? Why are they called piggies? They look like piggies. <laughs> uh, their descriptions in the in the book, and actually, there's a graphic novel somebody made of Speaker for the Dead. Oh, really? I saw some frames from it. So. I imagine piggies more like koala bears than hmm. piggies. Um, With fur? A little bit of fur, yeah. I don't remember. How did you thing. imagine them? Well, they didn't wear clothing. No, they didn't wear any. No, but it was warm on uh, whatever Lusitania. the name of the plant. Lusitania, yeah. I imagine them as like like pigs but standing upright and like maybe a little bit cuter. Right. <laughs> like That's... chibi pigs, you know, like little anime pigs. That's kind of how I imagine Okay. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they... They do start to stand upright. They know. speak many languages. They speak. They have a culture and society right. and everything right. like that. So. And it's funny because the whole big misunderstanding between humans and the piggies also relates to reproduction and sex. Mm -hmm. Right. That's true. They don't understand the... Because the humans come in with their own understandings of gender and right. apply pre that. Pre preconditions right. or preconceptions mm -hmm. about how... You know, species reproduce, and, mm -hmm. and here the cycle is totally different, mm -hmm. totally bizarre. And the and all the evidence is right in front of them. Right, and but they it's just, just like, like miss you, it. You yeah, totally don't see it because uh, definitely pers communication and perspective are definitely huge themes in Speaker for the Dead. So I think the one thing the Speaker for the Dead, he kind of think it's like a little cop out where the, mm. the piggies are really good at languages, so they pick up Portuguese yeah. and, and, and whatever <laughs> or Stark, so they can communicate pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And the humans are not that, uh, cannot actually speak the piggy languages. There's several right, them, well, they right? have like the tree languages and stuff. There's the father's language, yeah. mother's tongue. And, and, yeah. And well, that, I mean, that's part of the thing, too, is that all of these things considered, these are all stories that are being written by humans right. that require certain things. Like, there needs to be some kind of community, unless your point of your story is communication, which some of these are. Right. There needs to be some like, kind of lampshading to be like, you know, oh, yeah, they... That that's it's that's called lampshading in in a in any story, whether it's a book or a movie or whatever, where there's like some problem that the narrator the narr the narration just says, uh, well this is how it's fine, mm -hmm. you know, 
like in um, in Star Trek, you know, like, oh, well, the dilithium crystals let the warp core work, you know, right. it's like, sure, but like, that doesn't really mean anything. So here it's like, oh, well, the piggies are really smart, so they can speak Portuguese. And that allows the entire story to happen. Right. If they couldn't speak Portuguese, right. the entire story would fall apart. So those are the two that are the most human. <sighs> Who would be the, ne which would be the next most human? Maybe story of your life? Yeah. Right? Right. So the story of your life aliens are... So they're not uh, Utlang, they're not Framling because no. they're not human. They would be Ramen, right? Because we recognize them as human above other species. I don't, would they? Are the, do we recognize them as human? Well, you can communicate with them, right? So that's the... So I think they start as Ver Verilis, but then become Ramen, right? Because when right. they first arrive, they... The, so the, the point, the point of, this, of the story of your life is the communication. Right. Right. Initially, they can't communicate, but they learn. They ultimately do learn how to communicate. Right. Um, so I think that they would become ramen. So the aliens in the story of your life are, um, they don't actually come to the planet in the right. book. Right, in the book they don't, right? They just send like a... Uh, they Skype in. Basically, they Skype in, yeah. <laughs> they FaceTime. Yeah, they send a screen down. <laughs> and they're called the heptopods, they have seven legs. Right, and, and like they're a, symmetrical, so right. the, the symmetrical, it's like they can turn, they can... They're 360 symmetrical, like all around, right. they're symmetrical. They have seven eyes. So they don't have back or front. Right. Which is kind of... Which has to do with how they see the world. See, right. get it? It's a theme. So they're, but they're, they are individuals. Right. Right. They can communicate, they do speak, mm -hmm. they make noise, uh, they have writing. Right. So in our little human continuum here that we're developing, they're s still sort of human. So right, I think so they're like, they're like, ramen. yeah, that would be ramen. Yeah. And that's the first story we have where communication is sort of a big issue. Right. And is sort of the main, the driving, I would say it's probably the A plot. It's the, it's the driving plot of the story is learning the language. Right, and in terms of being human oriented, it's, it's interesting that in that story, humans actually get something from the aliens, this perception, mm -hmm. you know, the language of the uh, aliens gives humans the perception of, of, of time, like a different perception of time. Right, and the main character, yeah, Luis. Luis, yeah. Luis sort of becomes less human and more ramen in that way, right? Right, yeah. Because like, she's now, she doesn't see the world as a human anymore, now she sort of sees the world as a heptopod, or like a combination. Right. Because she can't ever be fully heptopod. Right. So then the next would be Solaris or no, War of the Worlds? World of the Worlds, it's, it's still more human because the individuals. The individuals, yeah. And they're, they're identifiable, they're, yeah. Right. But they're certainly Valeries. Yeah, so I think that's a great example. Um, what would they be? Vera True animals, alien, which includes all the animals. And they oh. live but cannot guess what purpose or causes make them act. They may be intelligent, they might be self-aware, but we cannot know. Well, but we know that the aliens that invade more of the worlds are self-aware and are intelligent because they're... They have technology, right? Yeah. So they might be intelligent. They're sure. They might be self-aware. The dire Not, beast, a marauding, unreasoning threat. Well, it's unreasoning threat. It's a it's, monstrous, murdering creature. It's between those two, right? Yeah. Hmm. we got to call it Demosthenes and make her come up with another... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I mean... It's like point five of each, you know? <laughs> yeah, because it definitely, like, the aliens in War of the Worlds definitely have reason but there's no attempt to communicate with them right. that we see in the story at least right. they don't seem to make any attempt to communicate with people right and the, their point is to invade right and uh, subdue the, the the humans it's do they even give a purpose 
Not really. No. They kind of eat humans. Yeah, but they certainly they couldn't have been eating humans on Mars. Right. So right. I, they're just sort of taking advantage of... Local food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess the next, I guess the least humanoid alien is the Ocean on Solaris. Because right. who even knows what it is? I still don't know. <laughs> right, it, it falls outside of this, this, this classification because it's... Yeah, you're right. I don't think... I don't think it can be classified. I know, it's maybe Valerie's because it's true alien who, for whom no conversation is possible. Is no conversation possible? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not murdering beast, you know. No, it's not a murdering beast. It doesn't care about people, it's like... Hmm. It, it might be Valerie. We'll talk about communication in a minute. It might be Valerie's. So the interesting thing about the ocean in Solaris is that I think Lem is trying to present like a, an alien alien. Mm -hmm. You know, a totally not human scale. So this is an ocean that covers a planet, mm -hmm. and it seems to have effects on the planet that are beyond physics, that, that are not explainable. Mm -hmm. And when people go there, the ocean does all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I have a nice quote mm -hmm. about one of the interactions, but doesn't mean anything to people. It's like, you know, we, mm -hmm. can, or we can assign meanings to it, but it, is it really true or not? I mean, you know, so... Yeah. It's, I, I do, I do like the quote. For, do you want to read the quote from Solaris now? You should probably read it since you're a better reader than me. I don't know. Every time I read a quote into our podcast, I mess it up somehow. It's all right. <laughs> so let me just set it up. So yeah. at the very end of the story, uh, the um, Kelvin goes down to the, the surface of the planet. And there's these formations called Mimoids, yeah. which is like a floating island. And he kind of sits on it at the edge of the ocean. Mm -hmm. And then he, he interacts with the ocean and it's... Pretty awesome. So here, here's the portion. I sat down on the rough, cracked surface a few yards from the helicopter. A black wave crawled sluggishly up onto the shore, spreading and at the same time losing its color. When it retreated, the edge of the previously untouched rock was marked with trembling filaments of slime. I moved further down and reached out my hand to the next wave. It faithfully repeated the phenomenon that humans had first witnessed almost a century before. It hesitated, withdrew, then flowed over my hand, yet without touching it, in such a way that a narrow layer of air remained between the surface of my gauntlet and the inside of the covering, which instantly changed consistence, consistency, turning from liquid to almost fleshy. I then raised my arm. The wave, or rather its narrow tongue, followed it upwards, continuing to encase my hand in an ever more transparent, dirty green insistment. I rose to my feet. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to lift my arm any further. A shaft of the gelatinous substance stretched like a vibrating violin string, but did not break off. The base of the entirely flattened wave, like a strange creature waiting patiently for the end of these experiments, clung to the shore around my feet, also without coming into contact with them. It looked as if a ductile flower had grown out of the ocean, its calyx encircling my fingers in such a way that it became their exact negative, though without touching them. I stepped back. The stem of the flower shuddered and, as if reluctantly, it returned toward the ground, elastic swaying on shore. The wave gathered, drawing it into itself, and disappeared from the edge of the shore. I repeated the game until at some point, like a hundred years ago, one of the waves receded indifferently, as if having had enough of the new experience, and I knew that I've 
I'd have had to wait several hours to revive its curiosity. I took my seat as before, but as if changed by this theoretically familiar phenomenon that I had provoked. Theory was quite incapable of conveying the actual experience. That's like my favorite scene from that, from Solaris. Yeah, I love that. So that's at the very end. Right. And that's his, that's like the best way he can interact with the ocean after this right. whole experience of Well, being so there. what happened in Solaris though, that in the ocean, mm. we think. Yeah. <laughs> still, still not sure. <laughs> created these, you know, formations, as they were calling them, you mm. know, in quotes, which what, the way it appeared is that somehow the ocean reached into the mines and pulled out some, some something that emotionally affected them. Mm. And for Kelvin, it was his, his wife who committed suicide, mm -hmm. Harry, and she appeared there. So he had a whole big, terrible reaction to this. Yeah. And, and you know, th she couldn't be killed. She even actually realized that he didn't really want her there. Mm -hmm. And she tried to kill herself, and that mm -hmm. didn't work. Eventually, yeah. they, 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 those, those things stopped. But uh, it's hard to say why this happened. Right, so you can mm -hmm. and say, well, maybe the ocean was trying to communicate with the the humans somehow, but it's just like the things are so alien. I think part of the point with what Lem is trying to do is sort of show you something that is so alien that is beyond human understanding, right? And and it's totally different scale, and it's you know we can kind of assign meanings to it, but that doesn't mean that that's the meaning that the thing. Right, and I think <clears> that the the brilliance of Solaris and that sort of sets it apart from the other ones. Is that the the point of Solaris was the the sort of impossibility of communication and the and the very good likelihood that if we as humans ever do interact with aliens that we will interact with aliens that we just can't understand right right it's like so out there um, as opposed to the other stories that were sort of using aliens for other other purposes I think well the the larger point of this though is that when you're writing a science fiction story. You have to make it interesting to humans, otherwise right. it's going to be boring. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There is um, this thing um, called anthropomorphic principle, mm -hmm. okay. which people say, "Look, the world is perfect just because you know, because we are in it, mm -hmm. right?" And it specifically was set up just for us, mm -hmm. but it's it's you have it backwards. Right? Mm -hmm. The world just happened to be a certain way, and it gave ri rise to humans. Yeah. Don't reverse the cause and effect. Yeah, exactly. You know, because people say, well, if some constants in physics were just slightly off, or if the Earth orbits were slightly different, none of this would happen. That's right. And we wouldn't be here talking about it. Right. So there. Exactly. Maybe we'd be here sputtering about it like the aliens from Arrival, you know, right. from Story of Life. So I think, and I think basically what we've identified is I, I love using the Demosthenes' categorization. Yeah, actually, I think that's that fantastic. Works really well. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think what, basically what we've identified is. There are some aliens that are more humanoid than others, and to me, it just seems like the the extent to which the alien is humanoid changes depending on what the point of the story is, right? You know, Lem is trying to explore the impossibility of communication, like this really kind of trippy alien right. ocean thing, whereas you know, Le Guin is trying to explore you know issues of gender and sexuality and and this culture. is actually something that she says in her, in her introduction to left hand of darkness mm -hmm. about what science fiction is all about let me just you talk while i'll try to find it because i was just oh one more thing i was thinking of was mm -hmm. in terms of chronology the way the aliens developed so the oldest one is war of the world and that's when the aliens are uh what did we say they were between varilis and jor they're right. this very destructive 
but still very different from humans. And then the most recent one, which is like you said, exactly a hundred years later, is a story of your life. And those aliens are also very different from people, but are sort of the opposite from the aliens of War of the Worlds because they're come they're they come to Earth to help, but they come to help, right? So it's kind of the the development of the aliens has sort of gone the opposite way, which right. is interesting. So here's what she says uh, about writing science fiction. This is from Introduction by Ursula Le Guin to mm -hmm. Latin of Darkness. This book is not ex extrapolative. If you like, you can read it and a lot of other science fiction as a thought experiment. Let's say, says Mary Shelley, that a young doctor creates a human being in his laboratory. Let's say, says Philip K. Dick, that the Allies lost the Second World War. Let's say this or that and such and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think with Left End of Darkness, she said, what would happen if the interaction between sexes was totally different? Right? Yeah, exactly. You know? And, and using science fiction and speculative fiction as the um, the backdrop for that is yeah. kind of the kind of the only way to get at it. Right. You know, because right. you can't you can't make a realistic fiction where there is no gender because then you well, I mean, you, you, yeah, yeah, you, you yeah. can. Um, yeah, you don't want to write academic paper because nobody would read it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've sort of touched a bit. So that's what I think that covers like the appearance of the aliens. We've touched a bit on communication uh, going through. So one thing I was wondering about with communication is does the the level of communication or the type of communication relate at all to the level of fear the human characters feel for the aliens or the level of aggression or anything like that? Because I think there are some patterns, potentially. Well, so like in Left Hand of Darkness, and this is and this is this nice idea of, of just sending one, one envoy mm -hmm. to a planet, right? right. So that uh, the receiving civilization would not think it a uh, an invasion right exactly right so in left and Dark darkness humans send just mr i to get them right. to like chill out and meet them and stuff and try to convince them to join right and just having the one alien there is not a threat then you get something like uh story of your life the aliens don't physically come onto earth like right. they're in orbit right? right um but they don't even physically come onto earth and in the story, left um, story of your life, the humans aren't really don't really feel that like they're concerned initially when the screens pop up. Right. But they're not really super threatened by the presence of the aliens at that point. And I mean, the aliens make it pretty clear off the bat that they're trying to communicate. Right. You know, whereas in the movie um, Arrival, which is based on the story of your life. The alien ships come down to Earth, and the army like freaks out. The armies of right. all the well, all the they would, countries yeah. freaks out. But I think that makes sense. It's more threat, more threatening to right. be physically present. Um, right, the opposite of, of Mr. I, right? Right, exactly. It's the exact opposite of Mr. I. And then you have things like in Solaris. The Solaris is pretty creepy. Solaris has like a very horror yeah. I, 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 did, I didn't realize yeah. that, but Solaris, yeah, the action takes place at a space station, kind of. A, above Solaris Ocean. Mm -hmm. There's only like four or five people there. Yeah, it's got a very creepy vibe to it for like a good, the good solid first half of the story. And then some very strange things happen at the very mm -hmm. beginning, right? When So it starts with the Kelvin arriving there as, as to do his research. Mm -hmm. And by then, Solaris kind of has fallen to the backwater of, of, of scientific investigation because nobody could figure anything out. Yeah. So people finally just said, I'm not going to study this. What's the point? <laughs> exactly. And it's sort of, the way the ocean is communicating is 
I mean, the ocean is communicating to the extent Well, that they're trying to communicate with the ocean by yeah. doing all kinds of experiments, seeing what the reactions might be. But they're very threatened by the way the ocean's trying to communicate, right? Because, first of all, there's like a couple accidents where people die out, out right. flying helicopters uh, and I mean, stuff. in history of, of yeah, in exploration. History. And, I mean, when Harry first appears, that formation for Kelvin, he's terrified of her. He, he's, I mean, this is a person he knows is dead, who's right. come back. Right. right, so that that's it's kind of ghostly, yeah. right? And so it's like the the attempt at communication is frightening for him. He tries to shoot her into space, and he tries all these things to get rid of her for a while. But I mean, eventually they they manage to talk to each other. I think War of the Worlds is probably the clearest example of there's no communication whatsoever, and it's very highly right. aggressive right. from both sides. There's just because there's just no communication. And Speaker for the Dead. Well, one of the issues from Ender's Game, which is sort of lingering, Speaker for the Dead, is that the communication with buggers wasn't possible. The bugger alien race. Right. And so the, the genocide, the xenocide of the buggers was largely based on the fact that they couldn't talk to each other. Right. right. And the, the sort of comparing that to how they, they managed the piggies. So, I mean, I think there's some correlation maybe between being able to communicate and having like a more peaceful relationship with the aliens. Well... Partly, uh, like they didn't try to blow up Solaris or anything. Right. So it wasn't threatening. It was just threatening in the sense that we didn't understand what the hell was going on. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, Lem is trying, in that book, he's trying to point out how, you know, the universe is much bigger than people think. Mm -hmm. and, and it's, like he says, we, we, don't, we, not, we don't go out into the world, into the cosmos to find aliens. We'd look, be looking for ourselves, mm -hmm. you know. And... In, in a way, the, the other books kind of show that, right? The, mm. the other aliens are more human, you know, more closer to, to Raman, right? Than, right. Than, exactly. But then again, he's he's right, but on the other hand, it's a story will be really boring. If you... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I guess that kind of gets to the, the one of the issues here, which is why do we write stories about aliens and why, you know, why do we see patterns like aliens that are humanized? You know, the likelihood of us going out into space and finding another, like, well, bipedal, in, 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 uh, you know, mammal species is basically zero, right? That's not going to happen. Right. Imagination is kind of difficult, right? It's hard to imagine stuff that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And trying to come up with something, you have to be very, you know, clever in some ways. I have this theory of art. Mm -hmm. and I think I may have told you this. Art has to be, like, to, to be effective, art has to combine stuff that you expect and stuff you don't expect mm -hmm. if, if there's too much stuff that you expect it's boring mm -hmm. and there's too much stuff that you don't expect it's also boring because you have no way to relate to it mm -hmm. so it has to be right balance of the two mm -hmm. and that has changed you know like in music and in art or whatever mm -hmm. and i think this is kind of similar in these stories if if you come up with these crazy aliens that are totally insane mm -hmm. yeah and you can't understand them at all and there's no right i mean i guess part of using science fiction and fantasy and everything is that you're creating a space to explore different themes and stuff right. in such a way that your reader can simultaneously relate to it, but also be far enough away from it to understand the critique. And it depends what you're trying to explore. So like Story of Your Life, I think, wanted to explore communication, like how to come up with the, to communicate in the language, but mm -hmm. also, one well, of the uh, species, but also the whole idea that, that 
in the, the perception of the world could be different you know mm -hmm. you know we perceive time and, and things happen in the past and things some stuff's going to happen in the future what if you can perceive the whole thing as just one thing so you know exactly what happens right and and that perspective called for that story calls to question sort of like what is the worth of a life exactly right like what does time really give you worth or is your, right. Is your life always complete, no matter how long it is? So Lem, in time, at the time he wrote Solaris, he wrote several other books with similar structure, mm -hmm. where he had um, presented some weird aliens kind of a thing, and that people in it struggled to try to understand and, and get a little bit of an inkling what it was. Mm -hmm. the, if you ever want to read uh, another one of those books, I, there's a book called Invincible, which he wrote, which is also very much in a Solaris kind of a is thing. Is it a dystopia? Because no. our next, so everyone knows, no. our next uh, project is going to be dystopia books. <laughs> no, I have a di lamb dystopia now. Oh, I, I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> so the next big topic I think that covers a lot of these books is uh, gender. And so off the bat, we have five authors, one of which is a woman. Right. Right? All the other authors were male. Yeah. And I think we're all the authors white. No, Ted Chiang is... Uh, He's American. Yeah, Asian American. I think everybody else was white. So, you know, obviously gender and race and sexuality of the author undoubtedly affects what they're writing about and that kind of thing. And so perhaps through no surprise, Left Hand of Darkness is the only book that has anything to do with gender issues. <laughs> well, it's also written in the 60s, so it's uh, mm -hmm. 60s was kind of time of, of sexual revolution. Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of gender stuff, so Left Hand of Darkness, obviously, as we've touched on, the the whole point is sort of what if gender and sex weren't right so the um, but the other interesting uh, the part of the left and the darkness was the buddy movie part yeah where they did the the uh, mr i and estevan mm -hmm. estrevan estrevan yeah when they went over the ice yeah when they over yeah. the ice it's, i was just thought you know the name sounds like estrogen it does kind of oh <laughs> i bet she did that on purpose <laughs> um so i mean left hand of darkness directly con confronts notions of masculinity and femininity and she wrote it from, and we talked about this in the podcast about it. She wrote it from a, pur like a purposefully sort of um, toxically masculine perspective where she, she wrote, if you remember, from this, na this narrative perspective of having these like built-in sexist ideas from right. Mr. I. Yeah, I um, wouldn't call them um, toxic, but yeah, certainly yeah. sexist. <laughs> But I, I think that was the, the point of that the story. That was the point, right, was that he sort of came with this, like, I am a man, and he's, he was, like, the, literally the only man on the planet mm -hmm. because there's there's no gender right. or sex. So. But the, only, the other interesting part about the Left Hand of Darkness that, like, a relationship developed between the two of them mm -hmm. where it was, like, almost a love story between the alien and, and the human mm -hmm. and it didn't go anywhere beyond that platonic love, you know, right. kind of just, just, they, they were, were very really close. They were really good from, bros. Yes. <laughs> And sisters for a while. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then so then in terms of the other ones, I'm thinking like War of the Worlds, I don't think had any. So actually, War of the Worlds had a bit of like the old style sexism where he mm. tries to protect his wife. Yeah. She, she's sent away, away from everywhere. And he, mm. the manly man, he goes and checks stuff out. And then, of yeah. course, she gets kind of lost and everything. Yeah. And then he gets all over the place in England. But it's like the, the, the narration itself is not addressing... It's not, it's not right. asking questions about Yeah, I mean, that. this is more like the kind of stuff you expect guys to do in, in, in yeah. the late 19th century. Like, he was helping this woman and, and her daughter on, a, you know, when they were running 
uh, away, they were driving some little cart and mm -hmm. he, they were accosted by bandits and he right. kind of scared them all. And he helps, yeah. yeah. There's probably Story of Your Life. So Story of Your Life doesn't question gender roles exactly and it's... Well, we, the main character is a female. We had know. talked about this on the podcast about it. It, it like, this is a nitpick because I love A Story of Your Life and I yeah, think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I'm not complaining that I have a female main character because it's there few and far between. But Louise's story does rotate around her being a mother. And she is a linguist and her husband is a physicist. Is a physicist. The, you know, it's like the story, again, the, the when it comes to issues of gender and sexuality in stories, the question is, one, is this is the story trying to question those things? You no, know, a story of your life is most of these are not. Those are not mm -hmm. main issues. The the follow up question is, when it, when it is using gender or sexuality in any way, is it bad? You know, is it um, a bad representation for some reason? It's so, yeah, exactly. Is, is it a stereotype for Louise to be sad about her daughter dying? N no, because people are sad when their kids die. But right. at the same time. You know, would the story have been the same if she had been the father? Would that would there still have you know why why is it that Ted Chang made her, made the story about the the mom and not the dad? You know, Gary could have easily also learned right. the heptapod language. So I mean, there there are questions I think there. He did. Yeah. I think yeah, there are questions there, but it's you know it's not. I didn't I didn't think it was story breaking or anything right, like that. Right. And I quite like Louise as a character. So Solaris had the born sexy yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Solaris had uh, Harry, who was the the trope, both born sexy yesterday and some some Mary Sue ness about her. What is Mary Sue ness? So a Mary Sue actually came from a Star Trek thing. So uh, there was a, a fan fiction someone wrote where there was a character named Mary Sue, Ensign Mary Sue, who was. Uh, better at science than Spock, a better commander than Kirk, a better doctor than Bones. She was awesome. Everyone loved her. All the men wanted to be with her. All the women wanted to be her. She was beautiful and perfect. And so this this trope of a Mary Sue is sort of like a, it's like an author wish fulfillment kind of thing. I think it's to a point in Solaris in that the ocean is creating this form to to please Kelvin, right? right? So it makes sense that Harry would appear perfect to Kelvin because that's who the ocean is trying to please. Well, I think, again, I think you're reading too much into what the ocean is trying to do. Mm, uh, potentially, yeah, absolutely. Saying please because the, the other formation were not pleasing mm -hmm. to the other members of the crew of, of Solaris Station. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the ocean, if it was the ocean, extracted somehow the, the most... Uh, painful or, or, or emotionally more like strongest things mm. also made a good story right so yeah. this is this is to make the story human right exactly <coughs> it goes, always goes back to that but but she is definitely born sexy yesterday which so is, yeah. where does that come from can you give me some of the examples in stories born that, sexy yesterday yeah, like, like going back I know the main example is the Lilu from the fifth element I've never actually seen the fifth element oh, yeah, I, I just I know. know that they cite to that there's a lot of anime examples. But um, is there something from like 40s or 50s or before then? I don't know. Gen generally what the trope born sexy yesterday is, it's usually in science fiction, it's usually a female character, though it can be a male character, but it's usually a female character who's sexy um, or beautiful and may literally have been born yesterday because it's science fiction, but has a sort of naivety about her 
where the main character who's like the the male kind of normal guy is there to like walk her through the basics of life and she does funny things like she doesn't know she has to wear clothes because she just is so naive and she doesn't I see. you know she doesn't know basic things no, i'm trying to think of like um like something like jane Eyre, right so mm -hmm. jane is is this uh, governess she comes mm -hmm. she she is kind of naive in in many ways mm -hmm. and rochester is this very worldly mm -hmm. or some some jane austen stuff is you know where, where the probably they're probably i don't have enough no i've read jane Eyre, but a long time ago mm -hmm. I don't have enough knowledge of Jane Austen, but we can ask mom. Mm. <laughs> there prob probably is. Uh, a character that toes the line of Born Sexy Yesterday is Seven of Nine from Voyager. Yeah, of course. And the only reason she, I, I would argue she doesn't fall into that trope is that she is actually very competent and very smart. She just right. doesn't know, she doesn't know like basic human stuff because she's been in the Borg all of her life. Yeah. But she's not like totally helpless. But so that's Solaris doesn't isn't questioning gender roles or anything like that just sort of uses it so we did left-handed solaris speaker for the dead i actually was thinking about this it's very very traditional stuff it seemed very traditional and i was initially holding that against orson scott card but i wonder if it was to this point the humans have the, like we were saying before the humans have this very traditional sort of box understanding of gender and gender roles right and and then sex and reproduction and because of their very square traditional understanding they can't understand the pickies right totally miss it they totally miss it they have all the evidence is there but they completely miss it so i think in that way it actually that story is also commenting to an extent right on gender and sexuality in that way kind of found it funny that um left hand of darkness and speaking for the dead like the, the main source of the the conflict was was misunderstanding mm -hmm. uh, of, of what sexuality was maybe less so in in, in left hand of darkness but mm -hmm. speaking for the dead it was you know i was kind of clever how he was dropping hints along the way and that well that was the second i mean i know you had read it before yeah, we read yeah. it. that was the second time i was reading it and i, I was told you remembered everything about the piggies and yeah, it it really rewards a reread because you get to see how it was all there. And that's the right. thing is it plays on not only the biases and the perspective of the character, the human characters, but of the reader as right. well, which is the best. <laughs> so in terms of gender and sexuality in science fiction, you know, the only one here that we have that really directly addresses the issue is Le Guin's story. And it's kind of the main issue in her story. So why do you think it could be, could be difficult to write about uh, gender and sexuality in the context of an alien story? Why is it that the other ones don't really address it? I'm trying to think of this anything else that I've read. I don't know, it's hard to probably come up with a way to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like in Star Trek, Captain Kirk just, you know, gets, yeah. gets the girl wherever she is, whatever yeah. color she is, <laughs> green or purple or, yeah. or whatnot, right? And um, again, in Star Trek, often happens where the bad alien turns into an attractive woman to to entrap the mm -hmm. the intrepid explorers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that it sort of comes down to that issue of aliens being either humanoid or not, because like in Star Trek, every almost every alien species yeah. they encounter has male and female, unless the point of encountering that alien species is to question our understanding of gender. Mm -hmm. And there's some there's various Star Trek episodes where they have like 
three gender species or no gender species and things like that. Right. Um, well, in, in Star Trek Enterprise, remember the doctor was a thing where family was like uh, three wives and two husbands. So. Yeah, yeah, they were the polymorous peoples. The um, uh, well, Dr. Phlox. Right. What was his race? Oh, I, I can't forget. remember. But Denobulian. Denobulian. Yeah, yeah. I love Dr. Phlox. Yeah, and so I think you know, it, it's part, I, like, sort of an intrinsic understanding for the reader that there are two genders, right? That there are two sexes. And if, as soon as you create an alien race that begins to question that, that become, that almost becomes the focus automatically, just by it being different. Right. So, I, I think that's why, and then in terms of, like, dealing with the gender and sexuality issues of the human characters, again, if you make that part of their character it almost like immediately becomes the point of the story which I think is interesting so I don't know so mm. like I mentioned to you before uh, the book Fire Upon the Deep by Werner Vringe mm -hmm. and in which the aliens are packs of dogs essentially right and they're both male and female so so the the way it works in that book is you have to have a each individual organism is not really intelligent but when they come together, they have special communication things like using ultrasound. So mm. they become a mind when there's like five of them together. They mm. have to be close to each other. And two different individuals can't come too close because they would interfere with their thoughts. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so there, the, the, an individual, a, 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 a single mind is not either neither male nor female because it can have both males and females mm. inside the, the, the collection. And they can, you know, make young and they can incorporate them into their own mm -hmm. little pack mm -hmm. so this isn't that's tripping me out <laughs> and, and so that stuff is not really covered or explored much in the particular book but mm -hmm. just this idea is kind of very interesting yeah yeah so exactly i think as soon as you start to make your aliens more alien mm. you that's when you get to start to explore these issues but if you're trying to hit on other stuff and they're just kind of basically humans in space, right. you know, then it, it ends up sticking to the same kind of male-female dichotomy. So another topic that comes up in a lot of these is the, or are the themes of colonization and invasion and even the, the relation those two have to each other and the differences those two have. So what, I mean, what is, is there a difference between colonization and invasion, realistically? I would say that invasion comes first, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they, they, I guess the colonization part is the actual settling portion. Right. Yeah. So we have several stories that involve invasion. I mean, I got obvious, the most obvious one being War of the Worlds. Right, right. That's just pure invasion and yeah. that's it. The Speaker for the Dead is more interesting because, right, the, the idea there is that uh, humans of the hundred worlds found one found the buggers first and they destroyed them mm -hmm. so they're like being super duper extra careful about any other thing so they found piggies who they seem to be intelligent so they want to be super 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 careful about how to interact with them so there is a colony on Lusitania mm -hmm. which is relatively small and super isolated and only well they think it's super isolated True. <laughs> And the contact with the piggies is very regulated, right? Mm -hmm. So there's only like one or two people who are allowed to go out into the field to talk to them. They try not to do any technology transfer. Mm -hmm. They try. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. 
I think ultimately, though, and speaking for the dead, it's like, you know, the barriers break down, right? Mm. The, the, the whole point is that they rebel against uh, the hundred worlds and they're saying, you know, we're just going to be piggy slash people together and, and yeah. never mind yeah. anything else, right? Yeah, so it's sort of, I guess the question is like, is colonization in these stories something that's shown as being even possible? Like, is it even like, is it possible to colonize and not invade? Are the humans living among the piggies, not just invading the piggies' homeworld? And then also planting the buggers there. Now there's going to be three species living on that planet. Right. Well, it's it's kind of interesting because, right, with the piggies, when they discovered, they become aware of the technologies and stuff that the humans had, they wanted to. Mm -hmm. It was the same when, you know, European came first came to North America. Mm. The Indians here wanted to get pots, you know, mm. metal pots, because the yeah, yeah, and I mean, like it's sort of, I mean, I guess part part of the use of fiction generally is to have us think about our own history and, our, and everything like that. And like, I mean, you know, a ton about um, Native American yes. history. I don't know as much, and you know, the the colonizers came, and but that was really more of an invasion and a genocide than anything. To a degree, I mean, yes, but uh, not not all at once. It was like, you know... It was over time, yeah, yeah. It was different groups of people came and, and, and stuff, but mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, you know, Martians coming and just killing everybody. Right. Well, we don't know how long it would have taken the Martians to go over the whole world. You know, maybe it would have taken mm -hmm. a few hundred years. <laughs> you know, assuming that they were coming and staying, and that's why right. they came and wore the worlds. Let's think about the other ones, too. So in Left Hand of Darkness, they sent just the one... Envoy. Right, so they're sending an envoy just so that it's not an invasion. Right, they don't want to appear to be invading. Right, they want basically the the world to join mm -hmm. on equal footing, essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, so they're not trying to invade there. Right. Similarly, the aliens, the heptopods in Story of Your Life are right. not trying to invade. No, it's self-interest. Right, yeah, they just want to teach the language to the humans. Oh, Solaris. Hmm. Because the alien doesn't come to earth is that the only one where the alien doesn't come to earth right no no because no, in speaker for the dead the humans go so i mean that okay so that's another difference so which which ones do the humans go there solaris the mm -hmm. humans go there speaker for the dead the right. humans go there right and left hand of darkness the humans, humans go, go there. there yeah so none of those are invasion stories right one is a colonizing story solaris is like science research like they're not they're not planning well, to so, stay right <laughs> solaris is kind of funny because it's uh lem likes to do this uh invent whole histories of mm -hmm. exploration so there's by the time the book starts it's been like 100 years or so of right. exploring solaris mm. and at first it was like a sensation everybody wanted to study it and stuff and then none of the research got anywhere so mm -hmm. eventually people said well this is not getting us anywhere so i'm just going." which is to such a realistic human thing <laughs> that's right yeah because when you think of academia right there's there's hot topics that people study mm -hmm. and then if something doesn't go someplace people just say, yeah. people get bored right wow i didn't even realize how like they, he is hit the nail on the head with that that is so that is so human yeah i mean I that, that was on purpose he does that yeah quite a bit that's a, and that's like a great, oh, I love it. Oh, I love learning things about humans through reading about aliens. <laughs> um, and then, so then the two stories where the aliens come to Earth are War of the Worlds and Story of Your Life. Right, and you said they were like the op almost yeah. opposites, right? Because one, oh. one comes to, to destroy and the other one comes to, to help. What do you think that the first 
science fiction story when aliens come to Earth is aliens coming to destroy. Like, why, like of all the things that could have been written about. Well, I mean, th that's how at least Europeans view the rest of the world, right? You know, look mm -hmm. what happens when Europeans get to Africa, to America. Yeah. You know, you just invade mm -hmm. and, and grab the resources and, and uh, enslave the local population and mm -hmm. all is good. Yeah, that's true. So that you're kind of describing <laughs> somehow similar motives. Mm -hmm. And um, and I guess like the f also just the fear of war, right? Right. And the fear of it, it was invasion. funny because I was surprised to f to learn that that Wall of the Worlds was written before World War One, but there were some um, there were fears of invasion in England from from some other countries. Yeah, there had been his wars. There's always been wars yeah. going on of some kind or another. I mean, that was my thought process. It's just the f the ascribing the same kind of motivations to aliens as you would describe to your and en your enemy country next right, door right that they want to come and take your right. your stuff like you were saying right. and particularly with colonizing and that's why I, I thought it was interesting that war of the worlds takes place in england because great britain was like the great colonizer of the right. world and them and and they get they get invaded in the story and then sort of the opposite happens where the aliens die from the disease Whereas, which is what happened to to invading uh, Europeans when they went to Africa and the tropics and stuff. There was oh, that's true. But but also didn't <coughs> didn't colonizers to the Americas they they brought disease with that's them. That's true. And so that was part of the the genocide of Native Americans yeah, generally. Right. Um, that's true. So it kind of, I mean, both and ways. that's actually one an example of like a kind of uh, major kind of lampshading because if those if the Martians had not died from disease in that story. They would not have been stopped. There was no That's other right. way to end that story. Right. right. The author had to end it somehow, and he didn't want to end it with the Martians winning. <laughs> well, it's kind of clever, right? Yeah, it was cute. So I think it. I, I think it's interesting that the very first aliens coming to Earth story was a very violent invasion, and then uh, the most recent one we have is. I think. Let's chat. That's that's what the story of your life is like. Hey, let's have a conversation. <laughs> right. That's that's very. Uh, very millennial. Very millennial. Yeah. Very snowflake. I wonder if they were coming. <laughs> if they brought memes with them. Have to buy memes. You can read them in every direction. <laughs> yeah. So the big questions that I was thinking of, that I sort of mentioned in the beginning, what? So first is what is your favorite thing about alien stories generally? And I don't even have an answer to this question myself yet, so I'm going to think that. Well, I, I like, I'm kind of interested in problem of communication, so I'm always interested in uh, stories where the communication is not, you know, all that, let's flip the universe and translate on and, and move right. on, right? So Solaris clearly was one of those. Mm -hmm. um, this book I mentioned before called Embassy Town has a little bit of that, where this to speak in the alien language, you need two people to speak at the same mm -hmm. time because the aliens have two mouths and they speak out of the, both of them and, mm -hmm. and to reproduce the same language, you have to use both. What are the alien stories? I mean, like the story of your life was great. Yeah, oh, I love story. Because, I think it's my favorite of the ones we read. Uh, again, this was like an interesting twist on, on how do you communicate, mm -hmm. right? So that, that's one thing, uh, like... It's hard to come up with like like uh, aliens that that kind of work on human scale, and mm. yet are really alien. And there's trying to think what like Borg in Star Trek is kind of kind of like that. 
What do you mean? Like... Well, they're not really understandable. It's like this collective kind of... Yeah. Although in the end, they, 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 they bring it to the, you know, the, the Borg Queen. And, mm -hmm. and hey, I love the Borg Queen. <laughs> no, I, I know, but I mean, it's just, again, it's just, just like a typical kind of human mm -hmm. way to think of, of stuff. Right, that there, why that why does it hierarchy. have to be a queen? Why why does it have to be a central thing? Why mm -hmm. can't you know? Exactly, exactly. I also love issues of communication in science fiction, and I mean, you, if you're going to do that, you have to do it with aliens, right? You can't. Well, yeah. There's not really any other way to to do it. Uh, so I, I love that kind of stuff. I think my favorite thing about alien stories is the ways it makes us think about perspective and understanding of the world and the universe which is one of the reasons i like story of your life because story of your life deals both with communication but it also fundamentally fundamentally questions how we perceive the world right because it's like what if things weren't linear you know <laughs> well speaking for the dead is that's kind of the same thing right mm -hmm. like like the human sexuality how human reproduce that is so ingrained so so we, we so assume that that's how it mm -hmm. is you mean left hand darkness no no i mean speaking for the dead because oh. the, the piggies oh, because, yeah the mm -hmm. cycle was just so bizarre right right exactly and i love how when you put humans and whatever aliens you've created together you automatically make your reader have to deal with the fact that the perspectives it's it's like everyone's an unreliable narrator and they don't even know it and right. it's just because they're bought their perspective and their bias and yeah that's like the main thing in speaker for the dead is that they totally miss and the like in, in, in slat end of darkness during the trip on the on the ice mm -hmm. when she told the these the same pieces of story from point of view of mr i mm -hmm. and estravan Mm -hmm. And it was interesting how, how it appeared, yeah. right? I love point of view stuff. I'm like, a, I'm, uh, if anyone's read A Song of Ice and Fire, which is the book series mm -hmm. that Game of Thrones is based on, that's all written from point of view, and it's fascinating. And I, science fiction innately requires that. Because right. even if you're going to write an alien species, even if you're not technically writing from their point of view, but you're going to create one, you have to think about, like, well, how do they see the world? You know, Ted Chang writing A Story of Your Life had to think, like, well, how does a heptapod understand time you know uh, orson scott card writing the piggies or the buggers has to think you know how do how do you feel as the last bugger queen in a bag in ender's tiny room <laughs> on lusitania you know what kind of things are you well, thinking on, on, about on the other hand it's like if you look at solaris let's say there is no how does the ocean feel it's it's that's just told from the people yeah you know a human point of view which is just struggling to understand what the hell is going on mm -hmm. but my guess is that lem doesn't even didn't even know how the ocean felt because oh, no, i know I, mean, that was, I think that was the big point and he does that a uh, uh, um, bunch of his other stories one of the things um reading a book about his writing they said a lot of his these these types of stories that he wrote is that you present it with this bizarre mystery and, you, and you, your hero tries to figure it out mm -hmm. and in the end you still don't know what's going yeah. on, but you have a little bit of like intuitive insight about what it might have been, mm -hmm. you know. But whatever you think could be totally wrong yeah. or, or not apply or whatever. <laughs> but but uh, I think that's great though. So that would be so my, my favorite thing would be the way science fiction plays on perspective hmm. and requires you to play on perspective. So then the the last big question would be, when it comes to alien stories, why do you think people? are so fascinated by alien stories. I mean, we have tons, we, I mean, we, we read five books, but there are just hundreds of examples of alien stories, right? And everything from well, really aggressive don't, don't to peaceful. people always like 
stories with like fantastic beings. Like again, mm -hmm. go back to Greek mythology, right? There's these superheroes and 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 animals, you know, hydras or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of monsters, and and those are great stories to read. And because mm -hmm. your hero has something to defeat, defeat. Yeah. And so it's almost like an outgrowth of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it has to do a lot with, you know, having first just like the the crux of it being having something interesting and new, mm -hmm. right? Like you were saying before with with art, like there's it's got to be a mix of of expected and unexpected, right? Yeah. And humans are so creative, and our minds can go so many places that being presented with a new idea, you know, you could take that and imagine it and run with it and that kind of thing. So, and you sort of need speculative fiction to do that because there's only right, so much. That's you what Ursula Le Guin says. You want to play with the ideas, so you mm -hmm. think of an idea. Well, what if there was no male and female? But yeah, you know, exactly. What yeah, wasn't there an author <laughs> you told me about once that said like science fiction is the only real fiction, and um, he gave an example of uh, like what if you had a man who was like paid in pretzels and he got his weekly paycheck and it was pretzels and he ate it on the way home. And like that could only be. You told me something. I, okay. I'm not making this up. <laughs> All right, I don't remember. <laughs> I'll I'll see if I can. I'll Google it and see if I can find it. But it's when it comes to alien stories, I think one of the reasons people are so attracted to it is because the aliens can be fantastic and as elaborate as you want. But at the end of the day, it's the human elements of the aliens that fascinate us. Right. Right. We want it, to murder. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's like we want to we we're so social and we we are so we desire so much to connect right. with everything right right that we anthropomorphize our imagined aliens right like we can like I connected with the heptapods you know like I felt like oh they're trying to teach me a language I'm sympathizing right. with that I think that's like what the draw is a lot is the need to connect with literally everything <laughs> that we can. <laughs> and I think that's what's really fascinating about it is that you can connect with all these things. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's, 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 that should be good for now. Yeah. Do you want to plug your other podcast? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that was Aliens. Yay. Ta-da. Ta aliens, aliens everywhere. Aliens everywhere. Um, I do want to bit briefly plug my other podcast. I'm on another podcast called Unabashed Book Snobbery. <laughs> it's a Game of Thrones slash Song of Ice and Fire podcast. And we do have been doing retrospective analysis of the show Game of Thrones. And we do uh, lots of podcasts. I'm, so I'm on um, the ones about the episodes and the retrospectives. And I'm going to be on the podcast coming up. We're going to do a podcast every week for the new episodes of Game of Thrones that are coming out in April. Um, and I'll be on those. And a warning, as our name implies, unabashed book snobbery. We are book snobs. Uh, we do not like the show. We, it's a critical analysis of it and comparing it to the the books and the, the way it's an alleged adaptation and all the ways that it's not a good adaptation. So if you're into that, <laughs> it's me and a handful of other ladies and occasionally occasionally we get a guy on there all mm -hmm. screaming about sexism and racism on hmm. the internet. That's what we do. <laughs> so our next theme. Yes. So I, for our next theme, we decided to do dystopias. Mm -hmm. We haven't quite decided which one we're going to do next. I suspect... 
Brave New World, right? Brave New World, yeah. Is that one of the first... What's, like, the first dystopia? Do we have a... Well, I'm reading it. Oh, is it that one that you're reading now that you're not so into? <laughs> right. So... Um, <laughs> well, Brave New World is a very classic, like, right, staple of dystopia. Right. Yeah. Um, and I haven't read it in a long time. Yeah. I remember the main plot, but I haven't read it in a very long time. Right. Uh, so that's that'll be one. 1984? 1984? Yes, okay, of good. Course. I love 1984. And then One by Lem? And then One by Lem. <laughs> um, and well, we'll figure out a few others. Uh, did you want to do Hunger Games? We can, if you want to just do the first book. It's, it's, it's yeah, quick, yeah. you'll get through it fast. Um, I like the Hunger Games and then I like the story, but I have a lot of complaints about the writing and the narration okay. style, but whatever. Um, um, it's a, it's a, it's worthwhile to read, I think. Okay. Um, and that's a more modern dystopia. And yeah, dystopia sort of blew up in the past couple of years, kind of starting with the Hunger Games. Right. Um, so there was like the Hunger Games and there was the, or the Divergent series, I think. Right. I, I didn't read those. Uh, the Maze Runner stuff. There's been like a lot of, you know, teenager thrown into dystopic government fighting for freedom right. things right. <laughs> that happened <laughs> which is very different than things like brave new world in 1984 right because those sort of they kind of go about it a different way but i think though so that's what we're going to be doing over the next year or so right um i think our goal is to do this this past year we did about a podcast every two months or so roughly something like that <laughs> life intervenes yeah uh so we're going to aim for another five or six and then we'll do another uh, collective uh, th talking about themes podcast <laughs> which is always my favorite <laughs> so um okay. okay i think we're all wrapped up thank you guys for listening to history in reverse i hope this was fruitful and entertaining for you and uh, we'll be back starting with dystopias and i hope you enjoyed listening to us talk about aliens right, bye, bye, -bye. We have speed. We have recording. We have recording. Okay, I'm starting my little my stopwatch on my phone as well, so we can keep track on both mm -hmm. there and here. How long is this we're going? And it's going to be if we can keep it to an hour or so. <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs>